today on Ag News Daily. We're off to a very slow start this uh, marketing year, the second lowest in the last 40 years for corn exports. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Market Monday, brought to you, of course, today by agmarket.net. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. We've got temperatures warming up across much of the Midwest, which means, of course, that fields are softening yes. up after that hard freeze that came through last week. I'm seeing more reports of guys who are waiting to find firmer ground, even though we've got... Uh, you know, a corn crop that is still sitting out in the field and, and a soybean crop in a lot of places still mm-hmm. sitting out in the field. And we'll catch up with Mr. Brian Hoops about that here in just a little bit for Hashtag Market Monday. Yeah, I got to operate a combine this week and I did some acre, about 12 to 15 acres by myself in the combine. I'm pretty proud. Nice. You didn't uh, you didn't take out the auger with no. a tree or anything like that? Nope. I did pretty good. Good for you. Thank you. So bring us up to speed. What kind, what brand of combine were you running, red yes. or green? John Deere. Gotcha. And what'd you think? It I, it was very comfortable. It has um, auto steer in it, so it does the sensor rows, so it locks in. You bet. You know, pretty early on once you hit that auto button. But of course, you got to do the turns and whatnot still at the end. But yeah, it was. it's really fun to just be able to drive an expensive piece of machinery. Absolutely. That's always a treat. Listeners, if you've got any custom harvesting work that needs to be done, reach out to Delaney Howell. You can find us on Twitter. You can get her straight through the Ag News Daily Twitter feed. Just find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm sure your hourly rates are very reasonable, right, Delaney? Yes, very reasonable. Fantastic. Well, that is exciting. Glad to hear you're out there doing some work. But now it is time to do a different sort of work, which is is the the work of reporting on the news in agriculture, Delaney Howell. That it is. What are some of the big stories that are jumping out at you today? There is a lot actually going on in the world of agriculture today. The first one I want to kick it off with here is starting today is the second round of market facilitation program payments will go out. But I think that this is something that needs to be brought up that I don't think we've really discussed on the podcast, but... That's basically the increments in which these payments are being released. So that first payment that went out was only 50% of the market facilitation program payment, about $7.5 million. This next round, starting to go out today, is only going to be another 25% of that total money allocated by the USDA to go out to producers. So you aren't going to get that full, like, let's say your county payment rate is $75. You're not going to get that full payment today, and you wouldn't have gotten it for that first round of payments. But that was something that I guess I knew, but maybe it wasn't made clear. Yeah, it was one of those things they talked about when this program was announced. They were going to be breaking it into three separate tranches, and uh, yeah, it's just... It's weird. You know, government payments are always a little weird, and this one is, of course, no exception. Yes, absolutely. But speaking of weird news, we've been hearing quite a bit over the past six months as there's been uncertainty about the renewable fuel standard that biodiesel plants across the heartland have been hit very, very hard. Uh, The uncertainty means that biodiesel producers are seeing much less demand, and as a consequence, there have been several that have shut their doors. However, 
U.S. refiner Holly Frontier Corp. announced earlier today that they are going to build a new biodiesel plant to lower costs related to blending renewable fuels. Basically, what they're saying is that their cost to purchase RINs, the renewable identification numbers, are too high relative to what they could spend producing their own renewable fuels. Uh, they say they spent $184 million on RINs in 2018, so they are going to spend just about $350 million to build this new processing plant in, of all places, New Mexico. Now, that sounded weird to me when I read it at first. New Mexico is not known as a major grower of soybeans. However, they plan to put it right next to their Artesia refinery, and uh, they're going to go ahead and put in enough storage so they will have capacity for to produce about 125 million gallons of soy-based biodiesel a year, Delaney, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that does seem like a strange location. When you said that, I was also thinking the same thing. Right, right. But since they already have their – so their main business is refining petroleum products, and they wanted to locate this since they're going to be blending the uh, soy-based biodiesel with their petroleum, they wanted to co-locate the plant. So that was their thinking overall. They're putting in a rail line so they can ship in beans from anywhere and uh, get them processed. So it's nice to see that we are still building capacity for uh, refining soy-based biodiesel. Absolutely. Well, speaking of processing facilities, Mike, it looks like the Holcomb, Kansas Tyson plant that was hit by that fire back in August is going to be up and running for business and intends to be fully operational by the first week of December. They said they are getting things back up and running. They are working construction-wise around the clock, and they think that they will safely have everything ready to go by that first week of January. Yeah, yeah, which is good news. Was reading um, our friend Cassie Fish, who writes the Beef Read, thebeefread.com, uh, was talking about how this could put some continued upward pressure on cash demand as that Tyson plant returns to the negotiated cash arena to buy some cattle from U.S. producers. Um, Delaney, you know, we have talked quite a bit about the wildfires out in California, and we've got an interesting piece of news. One of the things that was burned up allegedly in the wildfire is a 500-pound emerald. Okay. Have you heard about this? No. So apparently there was a 500-pound emerald worth approximately $280 million destroyed in one of the homes during the Paradise Fire a year ago. And I don't mean to chuckle at that. I know a lot of folks were devastated by that fire, which completely wiped out the town of Paradise, California. But PG&E, the state's uh, you know, electric provider, says that they're going through their records of things destroyed by the fire, and they're finding some things that appear dubious, is their quote. And uh, one of them was the idea that this fire somehow managed to destroy a 500-pound emerald. So they are looking to investigate some of these claims. And I just thought that was interesting. The same people who submitted the claim for this $280 million emerald said uh, that he and his wife have submitted four duplicate claims of $4.5 million each. So they're uh, they're really kind of swinging for the fences on these Hmm. uh, reimbursements. Sounds a little uh, fishy, doesn't it? It does. It does. I'm I'm not familiar with, with how precious gems react to flame, but my understanding is they don't burn up. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. They just hmm. kind of sit there, and the fire would burn around them. I mean, at least that's what I've seen happen 
you know, to rocks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> you know, in an update from the fire, there is some uh, always interesting news when uh, the rebuilding process commences. That is true. What other headlines are you keeping an eye on today, Delaney? Well, I have two headlines, two final headlines for today. And one of them is looking at our sugar market of all things. This isn't something we talk a whole heavily a lot about on the podcast here, but it appears that the U.S. sugar industry is touching record lows. And U.S. bakers, food manufacturers, and candy companies have been paying record high prices for sugar as we continue to see forecasts showing a falling U.S. production. USDA is now said that they will be doing something about that and promised to step in to allow more imports and it sounds like it's likely going to come from Mexico so I'm sure that'll be another bargaining chip here to get USMCA agreement passed but just to put it in perspective I guess it seems that usually for this time of year um, we're producing about 9 million tons of sugar and we've seen a decrease from a of almost half a million pounds of or tons of sugar produced each year, we've seen dangerously low stockpiles, and so it's just sent prices through the roof up to twenty percent higher over the last few weeks. No, oh, I believe it. Just talking to growers in North and South Dakota and Minnesota in that Red River Valley, especially, who have been really struggling to get their sugar beet crop out. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the co-ops up there are concerned. I mean, they're closing down beet piles. They're shutting processing facilities. They understand that uh, some of these beets just aren't going to come out of the ground. Yeah, I've, I've seen that same type of suggestion on Twitter as well. Well, I just have one other piece of news, and this is coming out of China. The ag minister there in China has told officials from nine different regional governments that they need to speed up their efforts to raise pig breeding numbers. Um, he said that there are going to be supportive measures from Beijing, the central government there, that are going to incentivize growers to start to rack up their pig breeding numbers. But they're basically concerned about the demand for pork ahead of the Chinese Lunar New Year. Um, Basically, this, uh, the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs yesterday said that a recovery in pork production was vital to stabilize prices, which we mentioned have skyrocketed across much of China, and local governments need to work to boost supplies in preparation for those Lunar New Year celebrations in late January. So they're really going to have to get these hogs up and on feed very quickly if they, uh, they do plan to have any more pork available to them by the time those Lunar New Year celebrations roll around. All right, I don't think that comes as any big surprise. It happens every year, so we'll continue to watch that story. Right, but African swine fever doesn't happen well, every year, and that is true. the overriding concern. That's true. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, I am all out of news. How about you? Okay, I just have one piece of news, and I thought that this was funny. I heard it on the radio this morning, so I pulled up an article about it. Mike, have you heard about the turkey, and yes, I mean turkey as in the animal, turkey terrorists? Uh, no. Are these folks who are letting turkeys go free? No. It's turkeys, actual physical wild turkeys, have, well, the article calls it unionizing, but have banded together and attacked a couple of different senior living communities in New Jersey. I've heard reports that they have, like, pecked out windshields and cars, poked out flat tires, 
And uh, one resident was interviewed and said she was scared to get out of her car because there's just these gangs of wild turkeys hanging out at retirement communities in um, New Jersey. It's just kind of funny because it's just right ahead of Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, do the turkeys know that it's almost their time? You know, and I think this is just all the more reason we need to eat prime rib for Thanksgiving <laughs> rather than turkey. I don't think our we can't trust these birds. That. Well, sounds like not. So we much can't in trust. This case. You can trust a steer. You can no, trust. Oh, you cannot a beef trust animal. a steer. Oh no, no. You no. can. I would absolutely put a steer in charge of my car. I. Would you can not. absolutely trust a steer. He's not going to steal it. A turkey, on the <laughs> other hand, will 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 get its other gang members together and find a way to try and steal it. Or boost it, as they say in gang lingo, because I am the streetwise one oh, here on yes. the Ag News Daily Podcast. Okay. Well, that is fascinating. So, folks, keep an eye out for turkeys. Do we know, Delaney, do they wear special colors that we should keep an no, eye on specifically? normal-looking Blues turkeys. and reds? No, just normal turkeys. Okay, just regular turkeys. So no, uh, no do-rags to keep an eye out for or anything like that. <laughs> Not to my knowledge. All right, Delaney. Well, that is something to keep an eye on. We're now going to check out the markets. Our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. Tune in next week. We'll be chatting with Matt Bennett as they unveil their new app. In the meantime, for information, head to agmarkets.net. Now let's take a look at the markets. We've got mixed trade today in the grains with corn and soybeans falling even lower and wheat turning around on the day. In the December contract, corn was down three and a half cents at 367 and three quarters. The March was also off three and a half to close the day at 377 and a quarter. Jumping over to the soybean market, the January contract dropped eight cents on the day, falling below its technical support level, closed the day at $9.10 and a quarter. The March contract down seven and three quarters to finish at 9.23 even. Looking at Chicago wheat, the December contract ticked up four and a half cents to four, excuse me, 5.07 and a quarter. The March up four and three quarters to close the day at 5.10 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got some Mixed trade today in live cattle. The December contract dropped 40 cents to close at 118.70. February up 12.50 to finish the day at 125.10. In feeder cattle, the November, well, we won't talk about November. It's about expired. The January contract was up 20 cents at 144.47.50. The March up 50 cents to finish at 144.72 and a half. And in lean hogs, weakness today is the December contract dropped 45 cents to close at 62.75. The February down $1.7750 to finish the day at 70.22 and a half. Quick look over at the dairy market. November class three milk up six cents at twenty thirty one. The December contract down nine. Finish the day at eighteen forty seven. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our hashtag Market Monday section with our good friend Brian Hoops from Midwest Market Solutions. Well, for today's Market Monday, we are bringing back on Brian Hoops of Midwest Market Solutions. Brian, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Good to talk with you guys again. It is good to talk with you. Unfortunately, today is not a happy day to talk about the markets. You look across the grains, especially corn and soybeans. They just fell apart today, Brian. What is going on? Yeah, you know, it's uh, kind of a combination of a lack of demand for corn. And, and I think everybody got excited that the uh, inspections number today was better than last week. And in fact, it was a marketing year high at 25.1 million bushels for corn. However, the bad news is it is still below where we need to be on a weekly basis to hit the USDA forecast. The USDA did lower their export forecast for corn to 1.850 billion bushels. 
So that works out to about 36 and a half, almost 37 bushels each week that we need to be exporting and inspecting for our exports to hit that forecast. So we're off to a very slow start this uh, marketing year, the second lowest in the last 40 years for corn exports. And even though it's picking up a little bit, it appears that the USDA would be justified in lowering their export forecast once again in upcoming supply and demand reports, whether they do that in December or they choose to wait until January uh, remains to be seen. But um, certainly evidence is there that they are more than justified in doing that. And plus, you, you just hear some negative uh, tone out of the U.S. and China trade relations. And maybe this is all part of a negotiation process and just talk at this point. But there's a lot of concerns from the trade that we're not going to get a deal done, that we're not very close or as close as what we had hoped we would be by this time. And if we uh, don't get something done soon, China can pull South American supplies in the next 60 days and really will not need to make a, an agreement with the U.S. at that point in time. They may just choose to wait and see if a Democrat can beat President Trump next fall for the White House. And if so, they may have an easier time negotiating another uh, agreement or even these tariffs would just be eliminated uh, automatically if there's a, a Democrat in the White House. And they may take that chance and see uh, what happens and just rely on South American supplies over the next most of this next marketing year. Jeez. Now, we have seen China step in and make fairly substantial soybean purchases here over the past several weeks. How long can the, can that continue, do you think? I mean, they've purchased, what, close to 11 million tons? Yeah, there's a there's a difference between purchasing and shipping. And you remember last marketing year, we had the same situation where they ended up buying soybeans, but they never shipped them until the very last two weeks of the marketing year in late August into September. And they may do that again this year where they where they make these token purchases every time we uh, get together for negotiation or, or a round of negotiations with with China, they end up buying some soybeans. But year to date, they're not shipping that many soybeans. So um, that's that's something that the trade recognizes that these shipments can be canceled. And in fact, they may well be at some point down the road. Brian, looking back domestically at some issues impacting producers this year, the one thing I've been hearing a lot lately is the low test weights that we've been seeing. Are you hearing that from producers that you work with as well? And if so, what when is the market going to take that into effect? Yeah, we're hearing some of that as well, that, you know, the quality of this crop is really not what it was a year ago. And a lot of that has to do with the late planting of the corn and, and the soybean crops and then the late harvest and all the stress that this uh, crop has gone through. Um, and, you know, that that may not make it into the, some of the trade communities until we actually get better demand trends. You know, the lower test weights eventually equates into lower product, but you know, it's a complicated process and that nobody really has a good answer for. And right now, the easy thing is to look at our ending stocks at 1.9 billion bushels for corn and, and see this demand be very slow and think that the uh, unless there's going to be a major uh, agreement with China that they would buy a lot of corn or we have a major shortfall in production uh, in the January supply and demand report, these stocks are likely to increase maybe close to 2 billion bushels because of that slow demand trends that we have. When you look at the slow demand side on on the corn in particular, is it just the strength of the U.S. dollar making us not very competitive on the export side of the scale or what what's going on? Why is the demand so weak? Yeah, you know, that's a big part of it that, that the U.S. dollar has been very strong and that's limiting our export business. 
you know, the dollar, unfortunately, um, when you look at exports, a strong dollar is probably going to be what we see over the next you know, several years. As long as the economy remains strong, the dollar will remain strong as well, especially when you compare it to other other countries' uh, economies on a world scale. Um, you know, they're, they're, where would you place your money if you're a, a foreign country? You want to go into the United States where the economy is the strongest. That's what you want to buy is U.S. dollars. And so there, I think there'll be a very strong demand for dollars uh, as our economy continues to remain strong. Um, the problem will be is, is other countries uh, are using this as a way to undercut our exports. Ukraine and uh, South America in particular are going to have large corn crops this year unless you know, something happens during their growing season based on their planning intentions. They're going to have some pretty large crops that look to compete with us on an export market. Now, Brian, I also want to ask, Wheat is usually a follower of corn and soybeans, but today the December contract finished up four and a half cents. What is going on there? Well, I think the the thing that the Chicago wheat found was a lower U.S. dollar. It, it was a little bit higher overnight and then weakened throughout the day, and it's been down for three or four days now. And that seemed to stimulate a little bit of buying interest in that Chicago market, especially when we dipped below $5 in the December uh, contract. When we got below that price level, that seemed to uh, have some traders buy back short positions or cover some shorts, and that led to higher prices on the day. Uh, question will be is, can we sustain those gains? You know, we, we had an okay export number this morning. Um, I don't think there's a, a lot to be excited about it. It was right in line with what we need on a on a weekly basis hit the USDA forecast. So, you know, we're still still starting off the marking year better than what we were at this time a year ago, up about 20% from last uh, last year. So, um, you know, it, it's a it's a decent export pace. USDA has us at 950 million bushel uh, projection, and there's really no reason to see that they're going to change that anytime soon. Well, then let's jump over into the world of livestock. We had a bit of a setback last week in both live and feeder cattle markets. Had the first real drop, or the the most sizable drop since the the rally began post the Finney County Tyson fire. And since then, we've we've pulled back. You know, we've regained most of those losses. Brian, where do you see this live cattle market headed? Demand does appear to still be very strong out there, at least here in the U.S. It, it certainly does, you know, and, and one thing that we've been looking at and watching really closely, probably more than most years, is our weekly slaughter numbers. As long as we continue to kill a lot of these cattle, the demand is going to be there, um, and the packers have, have decent margins to work with. So it's hard to imagine that we're going to see a real setback in this market. But if it's going to come, it's probably going to be between the Thanksgiving and Christmas time frame when normally our slaughter levels pull back. Uh, we had a huge Saturday slaughter this week, 73,000 head. That's 20,000 more than what we had a year ago. And that bumped our weekly slaughter above last year and above last week. So we're, we're, we're slaughtering a tremendous amount of animals. And if that would slow down, there's enough cattle out there that we could uh, see the futures back up because the cash market would, would no doubt back up as well. So right now it's it's in the Packers' hands. As long as they keep killing these cattle aggressively, um, our cash markets are going to stay very strong and, and prices will move higher. But if, as, as quickly as they don't, boy, we, we can see this market uh, you know, pull back pretty aggressively. And Brian, when you look at the April live cattle contract, that's one we've been watching pretty closely there. It's hovering around that, that contract high, 126, 127. If we do break through that level, what's our new upside target? 
Yeah, you know, it's a good question that you asked. We, we do have like contract high, almost like a double top on the charts. I'm not really good at, at charts, but, you know, 127.17 is a contract high. If we can break through that, we should get to the 130 area. I think if you're a, a producer, you really have to watch the lows that were made last week. That's a 124.75. If for some reason those get taken out the next several weeks because of a slowdown in slaughter, um, you know, we, we pull this thing back because of, Thanksgiving, Christmas timeframe on those holidays. That's a key technical support area that the funds are going to be watching very closely. A break of that would mean a lot of sell stops are probably sitting underneath it waiting uh, to be executed. Now let's talk a little bit about the feeder cattle market. Of course, we do have the cattle on feed report coming out this Friday, widely expected to show large placement numbers. Where do you think feeder cattle are going to go from here? Well, I'd like to say that they're going to continue to move higher. Um, I, I think they're going to go back up and challenge those highs that they made from last week. Um, you know, maybe put the April contract up around that 147.50 area. That's another dollar higher than where they closed. But again, they take out last week's lows. After posting a, a bearish weekly reversal, there's probably a lot of sell stops sitting underneath last week's lows um, because these the fund traders have been uh, you know banking some pretty good profits and they would they would want out of these long long positions if that technical trend starts to change. And Brian, finally, we've got to ask about the lean hog market. It feels like we're a broken record here looking at the December lean hog contract. $63, it doesn't seem to break above that. But then when you look out to the deferred contracts, we've got 70, 76. So do you see the December falling off the board closer to that February contract or the February coming down to meet closer to where the December contract is sitting? Well, yeah, I don't see any reason why December is going to move higher uh, into where the February is trading at. In fact, all these um, months have a large premium, a very rich premium built into the pricing structure, anticipating very strong exports. When prices in the June contract got above 92, it was a pretty strong signal that you have to be on the defensive uh, going forward in here, because if we don't get that agreement with China, that 92 could turn into, you know, 62, 63 that we're seeing in the December contract right now. Our weekly hog weights are increasing, and that's a really bad sign as we're backing up hogs and putting more weights on. Um, last week's weights were nearly four pounds heavier than a year ago, and that just means that we have more supply to work through, and we already have a, a real burdensome supply uh, that our producers are trying to work through. So we're, we're adding to the problem rather than uh, marketing uh, hogs quickly. Um, there's you know a little bit of a premium out there for February. Producers may want to try and feed their hogs a little bit heavier and, and capture some of that premium, but uh, in the long run, that's really the last thing that we need is we're already well above last year in, our, in terms of, of our weights. Now, Brian, before we let you go, of course, Monday means it is crop progress release day. Give us an update on how things are looking in your neck of the woods up there in the uh, southeast North Dakota, excuse me, southeast South Dakota, you know, area of uh, of America. Well, you called me at a good time because I drove from our home office in uh, Springfield, Missouri, up to uh, Sioux Falls this weekend. So I had a, a pretty quick tour of all the uh, harvesting being done. And there's a few corn piles starting to uh, show up in, in parts of the of the Midwest. A lot of uh, corn has been combined. There's still some to go. You know, producers are, are faced with that uh, shortage of propane and, and whether to dry it down or let it stand in the field and, and hope it dries down naturally until they can get more propane. But there's a lot of soybeans in Missouri that have not been harvested. So I, I would look for this afternoon's crop progress numbers to show, you know, nationwide, a large amount of soybeans been harvested. But 
the laggard state definitely will be uh, where I'm at in, in Missouri, as we just don't have that much uh, soybeans combine at this point in time. Well, Brian, we really appreciate the insights as always. I forgot you were in Missouri. For some reason, I was thinking South Dakota, but I'm glad you've recently made that trip and been able to see things. Give us an update for our listeners who want to get in touch with you. Where can they uh, get a hold of you? Okay. Well, we have a, a website address, MidwestMarketSolutions.com. Give you all kinds of market information. You can follow us on Twitter at Midwest Markets. And uh, my direct number is 417-501-5132. All right. Well, a big thank you there again to Brian Hoops. Always interesting to hear different things that folks are seeing across the world of agriculture. Absolutely. Things are still happening. Folks are still trying to make a living despite the challenges that we have been facing this year. Listeners, if you want to get caught up on some of the challenges that have been faced across the industry, we try to keep our listeners up to breast on that or up to speed, I suppose. I don't know, up to breast, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> you can check us out on our website at agnewsdaily.com or visit us on the social media sites, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let our listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.